Informing America's farmers and ranchers. It's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us as we kick off a new week. We appreciate you letting us be part of your day. We kick off a new week, a holiday week, and, of course, getting ready to wrap up this month of June. We'll be talking uh, about a number of things, especially weather today with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Some rain over parts of the country over the weekend. More in the forecast this week. As we head to the 4th of July, what's in that forecast? We'll talk with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson about that. Kansas wheat harvest underway. Kansas wheat CEO Justin Gilpin will join us today with a progress report, how it's going throughout Kansas and uh, what are some of the results. And I'll have some thoughts today on the political ramifications of what EPA decides to do on these small refinery exemption requests from the last few years. They're so-called gap year requests, and uh, are they going to grant them retroactively, and what could be the political fallout in this election year if they do? That's coming up later in the program. But we're going to start things off today, and for the week with Sarah Wyant, editor and president of AgriPulse Communications. Sarah, good to talk with you. Good morning, Mike. How are you? Yeah, very good. Interesting week ahead. It's a holiday-shortened week. Uh, of course, a lot of the Big action in Congress comes after the 4th of July when we look at the summer schedule, but there'll be some things uh, that they'll be working on, maybe some voting on this week ahead of the holiday. Absolutely. You know, the uh, House has really been focused most recently on the Moving Forward Act, which is a big infrastructure package. We're talking about $100 billion for roads and bridges and maybe some broadband and so there's a, a lot of push on the House of the Rules Committee meeting today, uh, trying to advance that before the holiday and then sending it over to the Senate where there's really not a lot of interest in doing that large of a package. I think there's long been interest by both the White House and the Senate by doing something about infrastructure, but certainly not with that kind of an appetite for the dollars given all the money that we've already funneled out for the coronavirus. So uh, it's not likely to go any place quickly, but at least there is a push moving forward on infrastructure. You know, I think infrastructure is kind of a the poster child for the um, dysfunction of our government. Both sides talk a lot about this is something we need to get done. It's obvious there's a need out there, not only the projects themselves, but from the job standpoint. It should be something you would think both sides could get together on, but yet they don't. And it just shows the political uh, environment in which we live that even something like this that ought to be a, a path where they could work together, they just still can't seem to get it done. That's true, Mike. And, you know, when you look at this, you can say, well, we really need broadband. So it's got $100 billion for broadband in there, $300 billion for roads and bridges. But the whole thing, when you, when you put it all together, is $1.5 trillion. So, I mean, it's just it, it's one of those things where there is bipartisan support for infrastructure and why they can't get it done and come to some sort of conclusion seems beyond the pale, but uh, that's the state of the politics right now in our nation's capital. Yeah, unfortunately so. Uh, this week we'll also have the official start of USMCA. It looks like it may be a bit of a bumpy start with some of the things that have been said and uh, some of the uh, events leading up to it, but it does officially start this week. 
Yes, we're looking at a uh, July 1 launch for that. And, uh, you know, we had an exclusive interview with Ambassador Greg Dowd last week and talked about the fact that they've really been uh, working uh, diligently to try to figure out how to get past some of these what seem to be hurdles that were overcome in USMCA, but yet the Mexican government has put some of these regulatory systems in place that are have the chance to really block some of our biotech products. And so there's a, there's still a lot of discussions taking place to make sure that that doesn't happen. What do we make of a congressman saying we need to write a new farm bill next year, a little early? Uh, is there much support for that? You know, this is a very uncertain time, Mike, and that's why I think we are hearing these different uh, approaches being advanced by someone like Congressman Austin Scott, who our team talked to on Washington Week in Review last week, saying they want to go back to higher CRP enrollment, you know, more land set aside, let's do a new farm bill. I mean, a lot of these things have been tried in the past for people like you and me who've been doing this for a while. We've seen what's happened, and it hasn't been very good to uh, do some of those approaches, especially when you look at a global market where Brazil is ready to take market share at any time that we're ready to give it up. Um, So I think people are just kind of groping for different solutions out there, and um, they want to revisit how we might look at our food chain and and our supply chain and and do it in a new farm bill. But I, I really, I can't see this happening anytime soon, but it doesn't mean it's not going to be discussed. Yeah, you never know, right, the way, the way things are going these days. And finally, we uh, this issue, um, a lot of people kind of scratching their heads about China's COVID-19 demands on our products going over there. Yes, um, this has been just perplexing because, as you know, there is no food safety issue with someone who may have worked in a processing plant and has come down with COVID-19. There's no link to the food supply or food safety. But what the Chinese are suggesting, starting with the poultry plant in Arkansas and now going to other food processors and saying, if you have anybody that's sick on your staff, you have to report to us and guarantee that there's no issues with food safety. And it's made everybody nervous. I mean, how can you really verify that something that left your plant, uh, and something didn't happen to it in the port or something like that? And so we've got this kind of ugly situation right now where uh, there's these requests coming in from the Chinese uh, buyers, but um, people aren't quite sure how to respond or if they should even respond. And um, some of the folks from the Ag Transportation Coalition have made their own forms to to send back to the Chinese. It's kind of like, well, here's our answer. So uh, it it just adds to this uncertainty about the Chinese market that we certainly don't need right now. It just always seems to be another issue there. And finally, real quick, we were all surprised to find out that uh, Ryan Finley is no longer the CEO of the American Soybean Association. Absolutely. That was a shocker that we broke on Saturday. And, um, you know, one of these things that you just always know that there's a lot of pressure on trade associations, especially Steve Sensky had been the CEO for over 20 years. That's a long time in association management. Ryan's been there two years. Uh, but we've been hearing a lot of rumblings about some disconnects between the farmer-led staff and the 
uh, career staff. And so I think there's a lot more of this story that's going to come out, Mike, but nobody's saying anything publicly that they want to have confirmed yet. All right. Sarah, good to talk with you. Have a great Fourth of July, and we'll talk again next week. All right. Thanks, Mike. You too. Take care. Sarah Wyant, editor, president of AgriPulse Communications. Well, as always, we like to check in with Bryce Anderson to start off the week, see uh, who may get rain this week ahead and what the temperature is going to be. We'll check in on all that with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Bryce, thank you for joining us. Uh, how widespread was the rain over the weekend? Uh, it was kind of confined, Mike, in terms of the amounts that really amount to anything. And uh, we're seeing that this morning with uh, some flooding showing up in parts of uh, Minnesota and in southern Illinois, the lower Ohio Valley, with um, quite a bit of the remainder of the central U.S. uh, not really getting a whole lot of rain. I mean, um, here in Omaha, we only had about three-tenths of an inch, and uh, you get out of those uh, areas that have the the flooding going on where there were up to five inches of rain in parts of south-central Minnesota, and then uh, some two-plus inch, uh, three-plus in portions of the uh, Mississippi, lower Ohio Valley, Otherwise, uh, you know, there's quite a bit of the Corn Belt that's uh, going to be on the dry side, and especially east of Interstate 55 uh, from central Illinois, the spine of Illinois, eastward, uh, that part of the Corn Belt is basically going to be high and dry over the next week to 10 days and uh, not getting in very much um, when it comes to uh, precipitation. And then over the uh, the central and uh, southern plains, the southwestern Midwest, there's not going to be a whole lot of rainfall either. It's uh, a pattern that, that shows a real tight uh, configuration when it comes to where the rain develops or the storms, I should say, in terms of uh, their development. Yeah, here in West Central Illinois, we got some rain over the weekend. Not a lot, but some, and uh, even those amounts varied. And boy, right now, a lot of these places, any you get, you're you're very thankful for, and uh, every little bit helps. Uh, so it doesn't sound like it's going to be a a big uh, widespread uh, chance this week. Then, no, it does not. And you know, over the past thirty days, uh, I was looking at at uh, the the totals for precipitation relative to normal. So we're basically looking at the month of June. Uh, the uh, map that I'm looking at uh, was uh, was looking over the uh, time, tr- time frame that ended on June 27th, so back on Saturday. But I think it's uh, still pretty valid. Uh, the above normal rainfall in the uh, U.S., when you think about crop country, was pretty much confined to an area from central Missouri Uh, north through most of Iowa, granted, and then into uh, Wisconsin, northeastern Minnesota, along with an area from southern Missouri, southeastern Missouri, south through the Delta, and then just a a fairly uh, small area in southeastern South Dakota through north-central Nebraska. That was pretty much it in terms of uh, substantially above-normal rainfall. 
Otherwise, uh, you have the balance of the Midwest and the Plains uh, having rainfall totals that were anywhere from uh, from a half to 75 percent below normal uh, for that uh, 30-day period. And and had it not been for the rain that was brought in by that tropical storm Cristobal system here about, what, two, three weeks ago now, uh, these areas that had the above-normal precip would have probably come in below normal also. Uh, so it's been a pretty dry month, and I think that, you know, we go into the 1st of July with this sort of uh, look to the uh, rainfall totals, uh, you're starting to draw down on soil moisture reserves pretty quickly. You sound a little more concerned this week than you have in the past about uh, hot, dry weather. Well, uh, with the with the prospect uh, particularly, and I, I did mention that uh, this past week when we talked that uh, this, this uh, weekend was going to be a pretty important um, mm-hmm. event as far as the rainfall totals uh, with the the uh, fact that uh, this uh, rainfall pattern was a lot more localized and, uh, like I say, a lot more tightly configured uh, than, than it appeared uh, was going to be the case, uh, you're getting into a um, situation where, like I say, soil moisture reserves are going to be uh, certainly called upon, and uh, that's going to be a real key feature now as we go into the next week to 10 days. What about temperatures this week ahead? Well, temperatures are going to stay on the very warm side. I mean, we're getting into the last part of June into into early July, and uh, there's going to be a large area of the country that has above-normal temperatures uh, east of the Rockies and just about the entire central and eastern U.S. And then to the the north, uh, from the northern Great Lakes, north and east, uh, we're going to see well above normal temperatures. I mean, there are parts of eastern Canada that are very much on a uh, warm to hot side. Uh, we will see some cooler conditions west of the Rockies uh, during the balance of this week. And um, that's, that's going to be a pretty, um, you know, pretty large uh, temperature contrast that we see. And then, of course, out in California, the Central Valley is going to be on the very warm to hot side. Uh, they have been, of course, for quite a while now. Talking with DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson, we'll be getting a Kansas wheat harvest update in our next segment. What's it look like in Kansas and that uh, wheat harvest area for this week ahead? Well, the uh, classic wheat harvest uh, weather pattern is uh, hot and dry, and boy, they've got that coming on because that southwestern plains region is going to have a lot of temperatures uh, in the 100-degree bracket today, and then they're basically going to park in the 90s for the balance of this week. And it wouldn't surprise me that a uh, pretty large portion of the Kansas wheat harvest is taken care of by the end of this week. Uh, that includes central Kansas, where the thunderstorms have been most um, noted over the last uh, week or so. But uh, even that part of the state, I think, is going to uh, be able to make a pretty good dent in the uh, harvest uh, totals when we go through this week. And, of course, this week we do turn the calendar to July. Uh, your thoughts, uh, what do the bottles show for the month of July? Well, I think that uh, we're going to have uh, conditions pretty much continuing the way they've set up. There are going to be some areas of the Midwest that get uh, rainfall totals that are going to be above average. But the balance of July is uh, looking uh, to be a warm month 
for just about uh, everywhere in terms of the the overall pattern, and uh, the the rainfall is going to be uh, fairly scattered. And again, I think this is a this is a uh, month ahead where the uh, soil moisture reserves are going to be pretty well drawn down. Uh, we've got uh, areas that uh, depend on irrigation for uh, their supplemental moisture. I think that. You know, they haven't had to, uh, in, in large part, uh, use a whole lot of that moisture or that available water in the last uh, year, but uh, this is a completely different year, and so the irrigation uh, demand is going to be pretty high for the, um, for the month of July uh, west of the Mississippi, and then, like I say, a, a varied pattern with uh, some, some areas uh, not getting a whole lot of moisture, and uh, the the occurrence of uh, rainfall is going to be, I think, uh, given a lot more attention than we might have uh, thought uh, a year ago. And uh, the, the uh, circumstances are not necessarily offering a, a real threat to crops, but I do think that we're probably going to be taking a little bit of yield away uh, from uh, how things actually perform just because of the conditions that we have going into pollination. Yeah, it's that it's that summer pattern where you are always uh, looking for that next rain, and if you have that chance and it misses you, then you get really, really concerned. Uh, all right, what about uh, internationally? Any uh, key weather spots we should be looking at? Well, I don't think that uh, Brazil is going to have a bad week for harvest in Mato Grosso. Uh, they've had a fairly dry trend overall, and uh, the Mato Grosso Safrina corn harvest is going to keep on uh, I think making pretty good progress. Uh, you know, the crop maybe hasn't been as big as had been thought uh, last uh, winter, but they're still going to have a pretty big corn crop. And, uh, you know, the total corn uh, harvest is going to be around that 100 million metric ton mark. That's a pretty big corn supply to offer to the world market. In Russia and Ukraine, uh, they've seen some showers, you know, kind of hold the line on their wheat production. Uh, possibilities and their projections, and I think they're going to keep on with that. Uh, the Europe situation has been somewhat dry earlier this year, but um, but the uh, you know the wheat supply in general worldwide is still looking pretty large, and so I don't think that there's any real big uh, change to uh, the the prospect for that Europe wheat crop uh, when we think about how that's going to perform this year. All right, Bryce, very good. Thank you, and have a good 4th of July weekend. We'll talk to you next week. Same to you, Mike. Thanks much. All right, take care. DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson. Well, he talked about uh, some good harvest weather in Kansas for that wheat harvest. We'll get an update from Kansas CEO, Kansas Wheat CEO, Justin Gilpin, next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Well, in our last segment, we heard DTM meteorologist Bryce Anderson say the uh, weather should be uh, favorable to get a lot of wheat harvest done this week in Kansas. Let's get an update from Kansas. Justin Gilpin, Kansas Wheat CEO, joins us. Justin, thanks for being with us. Uh, How's it going? Hey, it's going real good this Monday morning. Mike, how are you doing this morning? 
Very good. So how much uh, harvest has been done so far across the state? Well, uh, we'll get the report out this afternoon. Uh, I think, you know, we were estimating that in the week last week, we were just about 45% complete. I think with the harvest that happened over the weekend, there's a good chance that on the USDA NAS report, it'll it'll be over 50% completed in the, in the state of Kansas, uh, probably about 45% for, for nationwide, but past that halfway mark here in Kansas. Mm-hmm. So what uh, are you hearing and seeing uh, from around the state how it's going? Well, it, you know, we've gotten, uh, it's been a real interesting harvest, Mike, you know, how things really got started off pretty good with really good yields, you know, uh, we were seeing 50 and 60 bushel type of yields in south central Kansas as as the harvest progressed out of Oklahoma up into south central Kansas. Uh, things things looked real. That's probably some of the better wheat that we had in the state. And then things kind of dropped off as we got out into those drought areas. But the general theme has been uh, that yields were better better than than farmers had been expecting out there. Still not. Yields that they saw last uh, last year with really good yields, but but uh, with the, all the impacts from the drought and the freeze, uh, things are coming in a little bit better. We're hearing more 30 and 40 bushel type yields uh, out in some of those uh, uh, west west central Kansas areas, which is a real testament to to the varieties and how they've been able to respond and and survive um, with the, the conditions that it had this year. Mm-hmm. What about quality and test weights? Well, you know, test weights for the first part of this uh, hard red winter wheat United States harvest, test weights probably have been one of the things that stood out to, to everybody uh, as we were go, just starting out in Texas and all the way up through Oklahoma. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't just above average test weights. We were seeing test weights, you know, uh, 62, 63 pounds, and then a lot of farmers were seeing 64 and 65-pound test weights. Uh, through that central corridor, it would just were phenomenal. Uh, we are starting to see those drop off now as we're getting out in West Central. And we had uh, uh, the meteorologist did mention those those rains uh, that we had last week that shut harvest down for a while, uh, washed a little bit of the test weight out, and so we're seeing more uh, 59, 60 pound type test weights starting to come in. Now the rains weren't really, uh, you know, sometimes. At harvest time, you, you you never like to see those storms pop up because you, you you're anxious to get that ripe wheat out of the field, and you're always nervous about severe thunderstorms or hailstorms, which we did get some of those. But uh, the rain, you know, we've been so dry, you know, so nobody's going to complain about getting the, getting the rain. Uh, and you know, and it, it actually uh, the wheat is actually threshing a little bit better. Um, it, it was real interesting this year that the crop was ripe in the head and ready to go. Uh, but there's still a lot of green in the stems, and and uh, you know a lot of reports in the fields are that that rain really helped uh, whatever it did to, to make it uh, to just cut a lot lot easier, and combines are going a little bit better. So we do anticipate to have a really a uh, really good wide open harvest uh, harvest week as things heat up, and it looks like the forecast is going to stay pretty dry for this week. I'm talking with Kansas Wheat CEO Justin Gilpin, so this could be a big week. Uh, to get uh, maybe that last half of this harvest done. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, as, as we, just this weekend we started getting up into that northwest corner of Kansas, kind of up around Colby area. Some, uh, combines were getting in the field, and I would anticipate this week we'll we'll really get really get going. 
you know, that northwest corner, uh, that, that's where we're starting to see a little bit better proteins. Uh, you know, test weights are dropping off a little bit. We're not seeing the yields that we saw in that central corridor. Uh, but, uh, you know, overall, you know, we're starting to see a little bit more 12 pro, uh, 12% type protein on the wheat that's coming in in western Kansas, which is going to help out the state average because in the central corridor where we had those really good yields and really high test weights, uh, you know, it, it's inversely proportional uh, general rule of thumb when you have high yields and high test weights that uh, you're going to generally have lower grain protein content, and that's kind of what, what we had seen. And so I think the 12 and the uh, higher protein that we're seeing out west will, will help average out the lower protein that was in the central corridor. And it looks like the state of Kansas will probably be a little bit higher on average than we were last year, still maybe a little bit lower than where we'd want to be. You always strong to have a state state average of about 12 protein, 12% protein for the winter wheat crop, but it looks like we're probably going to be around, excuse me, about 11 and a half to maybe about 11.7 for a state average. So for, so as, as harvest progresses up into the Dakotas, that's uh, knowing that they're lower protein in the hard red winter wheat, uh, it's, it's important for farmers to know that uh, there will probably be a value for protein and, and uh, to keep an eye on, on those protein markets because prices have been pretty depressed. So any way you can help mm-hmm. add value to your crop, try to take advantage of it. Yeah, that is so important. Uh, how is the pace you're on this year? How does it compare with uh, past years? You know, uh, uh, just as far as percent harvested, it's going to look like a pretty average year, but it just it hasn't felt average just the way harvest has kind of got started, and then we got stopped with with rains, and then uh, the the crop just didn't didn't uh, dry down evenly like like a normal year. It's just I think a lot, a large part of that was because of that freeze event we had in April that took out a lot of those primary tillers, a lot of the second, this crop's really depending and, and is yielding because of the secondary tillers that came on. And I, and I think it's taken a, those fields that were hit pretty hard by the freeze that were able to recover. They were just a little bit behind in maturity and took a little bit longer for them to dry down. And, and so combines weren't able to, once they, in a typical year when things are dry and ready to go in Kansas, combines can just go field to field to field uh, and get that crop crop in the bin. <clears throat> in the bin. But this year, because of uh, kind of the varying the maturity dates, uh, farmers were really having to kind of hunt and peck and scout fields to see what was able to to be cut. And so it was it was a little herky jerky for a while. Uh, but now, uh, now with uh, the 100 degree temperature and the 30 mile an hour winds we're having today, and the, the forecast being pretty wide open this week, I, I think uh, things will the pace will really pick up and and may end up being being a little bit ahead of schedule when it's all said and done. As you get reports from around the state, any uh, other challenges or issues that have uh, popped up this year? You know, for the way the wheat crop's coming in, I think everybody's pleasantly surprised just because there were so many concerns back in April and early May what this crop would look like. But for the most part, I think everybody's really uh, pretty pleased with with how yields are coming in and the overall quality. There are pockets uh, that uh, you can really see lower test weights that got hit by those high temperatures in June where that crop was a little bit behind in maturity. And that certainly impacted some of the test weights in some of those areas. Uh, but for the most part, uh, I think the crop's coming in pretty good. I think 
the big thing that everybody's really talking about right now is uh, just how, how dry it is. And, and uh, it's in the central corridor where, where people like to try to, uh, when they can, get their wheat off and try to go back in with maybe a double crop uh, soybeans. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's so dry that you're not going to probably see that like you would in a typical year. And, and it has a lot of farmers thinking about uh, what, what to do with their rotations this fall. Uh, if we are really going to go into a drier pattern going forward, we may see an uptick in, in, in wheat acres. And so that's a lot of the discussion that's going on and thought processes right now, Mike. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. Do you think that they might change some of their uh, rotations and maybe more wheat acres in? Well, you know, if you think about how acreage shifts have trended uh, in the southern plains, especially Kansas, you know, we've seen uh, wheat acres, winter wheat acres continue to go down. We have the, you know, the least planted acres in over 100 years uh, at 6.8 million in Kansas uh, this year. Uh, w- this year we've planted, uh, the report will come out tomorrow to see if there's an adjustment, but there's about 6.5 million acres of corn planted in the state of Kansas, and that's, you know, steadily been increasing. So with the stress that the corn crop is going through right now and and maybe uh, the dryness that we're having with the depletion of some of the subsoil moisture uh, this year, if it doesn't get replenished, I think that uh, you'll, uh, you're probably going to see maybe uh, more wheat go in behind, whether it's a failed corn crop or if that corn crop comes off a little early because it's dry. Um, I, I think it's a year that you may see uh, increased winter wheat acres behind some of that corn and, and just uh, preparing for a drier year, uh, wheat just being uh, a crop that can survive better in, in dry years. I think that you, uh, if if I had to had to guess and put a number on it today, Mike, I would I would speculate that winter wheat acres will probably be up, uh, and corn acres maybe uh, be down a little bit in the state of Kansas for this next crop year. All right, Justin. Thanks a lot, and we urge everyone to be careful, be safe, and uh, looks like another big week ahead uh, on these harvests. So the next time we talk uh, in a week or so, maybe we'll kind of almost have the the wrap to put on this one. We'll see. Uh, hopefully all goes well. Thanks for being with us. Have a good fourth. Oh, I appreciate it, Mike. Always good to talk to you, and I hope you and your listeners all have a good Fourth of July weekend and look forward to uh, updating you on how harvest is ending up. All right, very good. Thanks, Justin. Justin Gilpin, CEO of Kansas Wheat. All right, up next, a lot going on, a lot at stake with EPA's pending decision on what to do with these small refinery exemption requests from years gone by. We'll talk about the political ramifications of it next on AOA. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, the political stakes keep going higher over what EPA does with these some 52 requests by oil refiners for exemptions to the renewable fuel standard. These date back all the way to 2011, the so-called gap years, and EPA considering retroactively granting these waivers. We have now Iowa Senator Joni Ernst threatening to block the nomination of EPA Deputy Administrator over this issue. We have senators calling on EPA to not grant these 
waivers. So the, the political stakes are, are, are high, and especially in a presidential election year. You know, presidential campaigns are always filled with several interesting twists and turns and require some difficult and touchy decisions, especially in a year like this when you add in a pandemic like COVID-19. Political and social differences are front and center right now as people decide who they will vote for in November. So every issue takes on even more importance. If you go back four years, Donald Trump ran as an outsider, and his promise to shake things up, that appealed to many people. Now, of course, some things have happened since then, and some people have not been happy with how he has shaken things up. Some seem ready to go back to more the way things were before the last election. We'll see what how it plays out this year and when the election takes place in November. It's been very well documented, of course, that farmers and rural America played a very important part in President Trump's election. It remains to be seen, though, if they will play a similar role in his bid for re-election. Four years ago, many farmers said selection of judges, especially to the Supreme Court, and waters of the U.S. were top priorities for them. Well, President Trump has been able to place several judges of his choice on the bench, not only in the Supreme Court, but throughout the system, although some recent court decisions have no doubt left him rethinking some of his choices, although um, this was a priority for many in rural America. And we now also have a new Waters of the U.S. rule in place, except for the state of Colorado, replacing that controversial 2015 rule. Now, while the new rule still faces some legal challenges, the Trump administration deserves credit for its persistent effort in fulfilling this campaign pledge and getting this rule across the finish line. It's been a a long battle, all of four years here, but they finally got it done. We'll see how it survives the legal challenges now. However, it's another issue that we've talked about also involving EPA that threatens to cost President Trump the support of many in rural America. Like President Obama before him, so it's not just President Trump, it's not just one party or the other, it's been both. Like President Obama before him, President Trump has allowed his EPA to actually undermine the renewable fuel standard. In an attempt to make both the oil and biofuels industries happy, President Trump is risking the support of his rural base, Through two EPA administrators, the Trump administration has allowed questionable waivers to the RFS to be granted, even after a federal court ruled against them. Now, to make the situation even worse, EPA is considering granting these waivers retroactively that we just talked about, some 52 of them. This, of course, coming at a time when the biofuels industry is facing the worst crisis in its history, causing several plants to be idled, resulting in lost jobs and markets and negatively impacting farmers and rural economies. President Trump is taking a big political gamble here. He seems to be counting on MFP and CFAT payments to be enough to convince farmers to continue to support him, but he may be underestimating how strongly many people feel about this issue, especially those already weary of trade wars and low prices. President Trump has repeatedly stated his support for farmers and the biofuels industry. But his EPA's actions have often not matched his words. Our country is currently facing 
a real crisis on many fronts. And a lot of the crisis is over law and order. And that crisis will certainly play a big part in this year's election. The biofuels industry and rural America are calling for President Trump to follow the law and order his EPA to do the same when it comes to the renewable fuel standard. This course is only one of many important issues that will determine the outcome of this election, but it is a key issue for a big segment of our country that had a lot to say about the last election. I think back to four years ago, I heard a lot of farmers say that those were the big issues for them, selection of judges and waters of the U.S., I wonder in this climate today in which we're in with a pandemic and the social unrest and all that is going on, what and of course the trade issues, what are the biggest issues facing farmers? I'd like to hear from you on that. What are the biggest issues influencing your choice and your decision in this election come November? We have a trade deal with China which was a big thing that we've talked about for some time, but it's constantly under scrutiny and question of whether or not it's going to uh, be upheld. We're about to start USMCA this week, but already there are some questions uh, on both sides of the border about how smoothly that's going to be implemented. And, of course, we continue to have depressed prices. At the same time, government assistance coming out to help farmers through this. So it's a mixed bag and a lot going on in the country, and you may have strong feelings on COVID-19 and how it's being handled, and of course this issue. This issue. I kind of think EPA will try to, if their track record is any indication of the future, any predictor of the future, you would seem the administration will try to come out with some decision again to try to try to please both sides, maybe grant some and not others, but it's going to be hard because both sides are very upset about this. And again, with the biofuels industry and even the oil industry, for that matter, hurting so much, a lot is on the line on this decision by EPA. We'll be watching to see what happens. That wraps it up for today. Thank you for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow right here on AOA. Stay safe, everyone.